Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. Again, we're without Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party. She is on a long and well-deserved vacation. We miss her and hope she is enjoying her time with her family in New York. But Robert Craig is with us as always, our Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert Good day, everyone, and we're recording just after yet another exoneration of Trump. Oh, uh, yes. Without any actual report. <laughs> well, since this is the Battleground Wisconsin, that is the last we're going to talk of that. There are plenty of other sources to go hear that information. Um, we actually, I would argue, have a far more, I, I shouldn't say far more interesting, but extraordinarily compelling topic we have to lead off with and that is the news the new the more more breaking news about foxconn i exonerate foxconn <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> robert we're done um we had big news uh, folks know we record thursday morning and yesterday uh, tony evers announced that uh he announced what uh we've been in our next guest has been declaring is obvious and that is Foxconn is not going to employ 13,000 people and that the state really needs to renegotiate. So we are very fortunate to have with us the, um, the truth teller, the early truth teller about Foxconn. That is a state representative, Jonathan Brostoff. Jonathan, big news. Hey. So uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, we, you're the go-to person on, on this topic. Um, so obviously big news uh, that Evers is doing this. I would say not shocking, but it is still big news and important news. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, the Foxconn was and remains a political project at its heart. It was constructed behind closed doors without due diligence. And although there was tiny amount of bipartisan support, this was not a, bi a broad bipartisan effort. And most importantly, there wasn't the level of public transparency that's needed for any sort of project of this scale. And we see where that's led us. Yeah, there's a need for political accountability, of course. And some of that happened with the elections when Walker was ousted. But political projects which harm the interests of the people of Wisconsin are a symptom of much deeper issues. And this is more than anything a staunch reminder that we have to have an open and transparent review of, first of all, the current commitments, like what Evers is referencing, but also we really need to strengthen our resolve for broad bipartisan regulatory oversight over systems like this so we can prevent this sort of scam from happening to Wisconsin ever again, no matter who's in charge. And that's, to me, the biggest takeaway from this. And I'm glad that Evers is you know, starting to uh, uh, call for that, although... Obviously, he got brought. He wasn't part of the original part of this process, and he's brought in pretty late to the deal, and had a lot of mechanisms for that taken away from him through the lame duck session because the Republicans chose to continue with this scam, uh, even though they lost the election on it. Yeah, and Jonathan, um, that's partly the reason for the lame duck was to prevent Evers from renegotiating this contract through September exactly. and to leave Mark Hogan, the CEO of Weedek, in charge. So it, it's kind of interesting. It seems to me that Tony Evers has played this down the middle. He and his Department of Administration Secretary, Joel Brennan, have actually talked about making this work. They haven't taken the position, say, you and I have been taking, Jonathan, since the beginning and others. Um, in addition, he seems to just be describing reality, though there's, we'll talk about the frenzied response. 
It was going to be a Gen 10.5 facility, large screens, then Gen 6 small screens, which which is far less labor labor intensive. Then there was going to be nothing, right? There was going to be there was right. the floating of nothing at all because the market had changed, which it is not. Right. Um, and then there was oh pullback. We're going to do the thirty thousand thousand jobs. We're moving forward, but then the foundation of the plant is not sufficient for manufacturing of the of either type, and so it would right. seem it best to be an assembly plant, and that would be totally different. So it, it's bizarre. But then look at your colleagues in the legislature carrying on about. Evers undermine the whole thing. They see no right. problem with Foxconn, despite all this information in the public sphere. But now you're, they're just setting up for a smear campaign when their project fails to blame Evers. It seems like. Am I exactly. missing something? A hundred percent. And and actually, we've already seen this. The first announcement uh, when the flip flopping started happening with the Foxconn that the Republicans already had queued up. Like it seemed like their press people had this ready well before because it came out so quickly was well blame evers for everything because you know he somehow has affected this deal so greatly and we've already seen precedent from foxconn on this once they begin their kind of vampiric process to come and suck up resources make these promises and leave in harrisburg pennsylvania they, they this is what they do they blame it on you know a new administration or anything else that they can once they get theirs they're out and this is what we're seeing here. And on top of that, uh, we're seeing the kind of uh, the, the 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 damages wrought by including this sort of crony capitalism in our policymaking. And how did we get here? I think there's one other important piece of this that that needs to be acknowledged every time we talk about it, which is the reason why this happened is because the Foxconn used kind of the the most powerful political kryptonite that they have in this process. They came in and they promised jobs. And they said, we're going to have private sector jobs. And that freaks out politicians like, yes, yes, sir, no, sir, we'll do whatever for you, blah, blah, blah. And you had all these people going along to get along because they don't want to be seen as in the way of jobs. Well, in fact, government's really good at creating jobs. Government's great at creating jobs, but not private sector jobs. That is not government's role. Government's job is to create teachers, have enough firefighters so that response time is at appropriate levels, have enough public sector workers doing the jobs well enough that the environment is such where people would want to move here because you have a great functioning university system that's developing capital for genera intellectual capital for generations to come. You have a great park system where people, employees want to move there and live there because they can raise their families there, great public schools, etc. That's what government's job is. And when we confuse the two and allow this crony capitalism to take over, it's the worst of both worlds. And I'm going to make one prediction. Can I make a prediction on here? Predict away. Okay, here's my prediction. And this is uh, going to be on the record, so hold me to account for it. But I predict that this mini kind of basically city that they're building is going to be a huge flop. That's nothing new. But when it does, there's going to be a ton of money. I mean, obviously, Moody's has weighed in and lowered the credit rating of Mount Pleasant, but there's going to be a ton of money missing from their coffers, hundreds of millions of dollars, and the state's going to have to bail out a certain percentage, that 40%, but there's going to be a ton of money missing from them, and they're going to be freaking out, all the local elected officials who are either corrupt or cowardly from the jump on this that were that you know went along to get along with it, and those cowardly or corrupt local officials are going to feel even more pressure to produce something, anything. So they're going to give away the farm to any local 
businesses or anyone that'll do anything. So they're going to pay out even more for the short-term political benefit of saying, well, look, we had something there, someone there, someone operated, and they're going to be selling off that land to any bidder, not the highest bidder, but anyone that can help bail them out because their cowardly and corrupt actions as the worst you know, that politics has to offer when it comes to crony corporate welfare is going to play out in a way that further sinks them underwater and further hurts the community and further goes down this road of extreme corporate welfare, but it helps save their skin short term. So go, well, look, we had a couple so of come through. Look, look, you know, jobs. And John- that's why we have to have politicians that can stand up to that sort of kryptonite hey, John- and aren't going to allow themselves to be, you know, bullied by these private sector, you know, vampiric entities. Hey, Jonathan, uh, I think it'd be a sucker bet to be against you what you just laid out, but we will see... <laughs> Let me ask you, you talked about public versus private sector. Two quick things. We have about two minutes left here. One is uh, Speaker Voss seems to disagree. He says the goal of Foxconn is to create 13,000 jobs, when it seems to me the goal of a corporation is not to create jobs, but to create profit, and jobs, exactly. are, jobs are an accidental thing. Then we have Senator Van Wangart saying that Evers is seeking to unilaterally renegotiate the contract. Does that mean the contract originally was not negotiated <laughs> unilaterally? Right. I mean, we're just seeing, you know, it's it's just a blame game and there's no there's no substance to it, of course. Obviously, I, uh, you know, the, and I will say this, the one thing first of all, yes, of course, uh, and and not only that, but Terry Go has said, although apparently recently Terry Go be his, gone. Exactly. They see uh, he had a sea goddess come to him and tell him to run for president of Taiwan. So now he's leaving Foxconn, which I suppose is good a reason as any. But he's he said that he wants them to be a world leader in automation. So, of course, this has nothing to do with good paying, you know, union jobs are going to support a family. That era has gone. That's now what we're talking about in in the Foxconn region. But I will say that uh you know, this is going to be a huge black eye, a huge stain on Voss's career because this is right in his backyard. And he is someone who has a very large ego, as many politicians do, but he hates losing. And he's already starting to freak out because this is going so poorly. And I do believe that he is as, you know, kind of conniving as he is. I do believe that he, Voss, at some level, truly thought there was the potential for this. He bought into the hype. You know, he flew to, you know, maybe he went over to Japan, to this other plant with everyone. Maybe he got wine and dined by his people and saw the holograms everyone else saw and stuff like that and thought, oh, wow, this will be great. And he thought he could Star Trek Mount Pleasant. But actually he's now realizing that this is going bad and he's starting to freak out. And I've seen he's already taking it out on some of his colleagues. He's much more moody than he normally is. He's getting less sleep. And I think... Because it's in his backyard and it's starting to crumble I think already, he, I think he's he, starting to feel the effects. I think he ought to freak out because his political life is passing before his eyes. Well, exactly. With that, our time has passed. We have to go to a break, Jonathan. I know you got to go. You got a you got a kid there you're looking after who's a little yep. under, a little under the weather. So we appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Thanks, guys, and thanks for all you do. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank State Representative Jonathan Brostos for joining us in the previous episode to talk about the Foxconn news, although 
as Robert mentioned, this isn't really news. It's sort of dealing with reality. But um, we did uh, did get to mention a couple of other pieces that happened in Foxconn this week. Also, that Terry Gow, it was announced, uh, is leaving Foxconn. So the two major deal brokers, uh, Scott Walker and Terry Gow, are gone. And Just Trump. <laughs> and just, then yes, yes. Speaker Voss, though, is saying the contract is ironclad. Yeah, yeah, mm. ironclad. The other news this week, too, is a, uh, there was more uh, news in Illinois about uh, them getting re- more reports about concerns around flooding related to Foxconn. Um, they've had studies done where they're already dealing with flooding issues in northern Illinois, and it's expected to get significantly worse because of Foxconn, if it were built out the way it was projected, although... <laughs> That's not likely to happen. Hey, you know, Jonathan had his prediction. I, I truly do believe that this is going to be one of the most beautiful strip malls you're ever going to visit, and it's going to replace the previous strip mall further down the road with outlet stores and all whatever. I believe um, Mars Cheese Castle can have a new location. <laughs> it's going to be the, broad the stop, perhaps. best subsidized service sector jobs you'll ever see um, coming to I-94 soon. With that, though, we're going to move on. I'm sure we'll have more Foxconn news in the future. Uh, Robert, can't go without talking about Medicaid. and It was a very uh, important report. And I'll call it important because uh, we had a report that we talked about just a week ago around Medicaid that was put out by the the, the folks at UW that are very tight with with Scott Walker and conservatives that tried to argue that Medicaid would, would cost the state if we accepted the federal Medicaid money. And this now new UW report says that uh, it will actually save the state $100 million a year. And, of course, we know it covers more people. Robert, this should move the right, right? Some more facts, uh, uh, empirical evidence or good evidence that would suggest that this is a good thing to do. However, Representative Voss completely unmoved. More from you, Robert, on Representative Voss. And, and by the way, this is coming off the heels of the 70% support for this in the Marquette poll. So that would assume, Matt, a, and I think since you're asking tongue-in-cheek, well, a false, a f- two false assumptions. One, that modern conservatives make decisions based on facts of any kind, other than facts, perhaps such as political fundraising facts and and their donors, re-elections, right? But actual policy facts. Let me be clear. Uh, and then the second uh, assumption here would be that they feel any duty to respond to public opinion, only if it's going to cost them power. Period. And here's the little problem with our side's obsession with polls, which I've talked about all time. You know, there are a lot of polling issues where public's 65, 70, 75, 80 percent with us. And people still don't vote on those issues, okay? And so they're free to ignore them and do, not, and not just Republican politicians. And so it really is not just about where the public is. That's an advantage that the public is with us. It's how that can be mobilized both during issue fights, like like the budget fight right now, and then during elections. And the one problem they have is health care, unlike a lot of issues we care about, say Fair Maps, actually is a first-tier electoral issue. It was the dominant elect- electoral issue in the last election, and it seems like it's going to be again leading into the national election in 2020. But let's go through, Matt. There's a fact part, right? Well, And then we'll, we can talk. I'll go through facts, then polling. Okay? Yeah, yeah. So... 
fact part, right? People remember this report being released at the Capitol uh, from a UW-Madison researcher and a right-wing legal institute, Will, right, and Rick Eisenberg, uh, and a UW-Madison professor, Noah Williams, from a think tank, which acronym is CROW, showing allegedly, contrary to all the national research, that Medicaid expansion uh, would actually cost us a ton of money, that it would cost, uh, that it would be very costly, it would cost Wisconsin $600 million, it would raise private insurance premiums. All these national studies from respected research institutes, Kaiser Health, Johns Hopkins, others, have found the, uh, found, Georgetown, have found the opposite, okay, uh, substantially. And then the methodology, once it was looked at, was shown to be highly fraudulent, and full of models, not actual information, and assumptions that aren't true in the real world. And it was debunked not only by other health policy experts at UW-Madison, though they weren't willing to go that public. They wrote a memo, basically, without using the word junk science, saying that it was hopelessly flawed methodologically. And then the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel did a story where they actually quoted a lot of different experts saying it was junk science. I mean, a Loyola University of Chicago economist said it was trash, I believe. Nonetheless, this has been the talking point ever since. This is how right in the Fox News infrastructure style infrastructure works and right-wing radio. You just get the fake study, then you repeat it over and over again. We saw constituent contact to his, uh, his constituents from Dale Coinga over the weekend saying he was very concerned how expensive this would be and how it raised everyone's private insurance premiums. So that was bad enough, right, Matt, that whole narrative? And, you know, we've been thinking about other ways to redo studies to try to debunk, but my concern has been no matter what it came from, it could come from the most esteemed scientific panel in the history of the world, they'd still report the Crow study, right? Well, we had an unexpected development this week, unexpected in our circles and, you know, organizations in the leadership of the whole campaign to win Medicaid expansion, and that is... The same research institute, Crow, is eating crow, as one of my colleagues uh, in, in, the, in the coalition said. I don't know if he wants to be quoted, so I'll just use it. And that is the uh, two different economists from UW-Madison, uh, Gwen Pauley and Matt Wiswall, debunked a study from the same research institute, UW-Madison, and say it'll save 19 to $103 million, and that the Again, the methodology of the original Crow report uh, is, is so bad. We'll call, talk about Crow 1.0, Crow 2.0, that it can't be taken seriously. So that's where we are in the facts, Matt. And the problem is, is that I believe the original Crow report will be quoted over and over again by Speaker Voss and Republicans in the Joint Finance Committee, regardless of how badly it's debunked. Well, again, this is this is really, really important. That 70% polling number is important. He can say all he wants. That number's got to scare him. And we now know, uh, actually, Gordon Hintz also uh, put out an article this week. Uh, we put a link to it, top reasons why we should accept the Medicaid money. He said flat out he's got Republican legislators coming up to him and saying that they don't understand why leadership, Voss, Fitzgerald, are so hung up on not accepting the Medicaid money, right? So, folks, they get it. They they do know the polling numbers, and those there are a lot of uh, legislators out there that are very worried about this, and that's why 
um, the pressure right now in the Joint Finance Committee hearings, the public hearings, the amazing turnout again this week on Monday uh, up at uh, UW River Falls, continued to have great turnout of folks supporting Medicaid expansion, continues to be talked about. Actually, we're working also, on an official account, but I think we're at over 70 to nothing. There's been no public person who came and testified against med badger care expansion. And it's worth pointing out that um, uh, Nigren, Representative Nigren, who's on the Joint Finance Committee, one of the co-chairs, in an interview uh, when the 70% support and all the testimony that's uh, occurred at the previous two hearings, um, does this have any impact on you? He got actually quite agitated and and su suggested that, well, if the public actually knew and we we polled and told them that we were going to be expanding welfare through this, that Badger Care is just an expansion of welfare, that then maybe it wouldn't be so popular. It's like, well, yeah, because you know what? It's not. These are working people who can't afford basic health care. And this jackal is on the public dime getting health care. Who, who have the kind of jobs you guys have been creating uh uh, since the it's, Great Recession, retail jobs, home care workers, CNAs, people in agriculture, right? People who have good have jobs, but the jobs don't provide health benefits. It's rhetorically immoral what he did, right? I, I believe, right? This is this is someone who is making a decent living. It's been public on the public dime for a long time, which I don't have a problem with. I have a problem with them when they go after the notion. That someone making eight fifty, about eight fifty an hour, working hard, would get access to that health care, and we would try to describe them as welfare recipients to try to just demonize them to win politically. It's let alone that someone who doesn't have a good job and needs health care would be uh, stigmatized either. So let's be clear, Matt. We're not just saying that uh, that that we're not just attacking it because it's working people, even if it wasn't. This is the kind of divide and conquer that is destroying our country. Yeah, it's just it's it's really depressing when you know we talk. You you started this with the conversation of facts, and I wanted to end there because right there, when confronted with the facts by a reporter, that was the response. So it, but folks, it does matter. We need to keep showing up. We know that the pressure is coming within the caucus. Gordon Hintz revealed that. That's how this is going to change. We need folks to show up in Green Bay Joint Finance Committee next week. Uh, we got to go though. We got to quick take a break here. Again, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, before we left, we were talking a little bit about some new Medicaid uh, news this week around the study. Talked a little bit about Joint Finance Committee, which is where we're at right now. Um, we mentioned, uh, again, hundreds of people turned out to UW-River Falls um, in another woefully not prepared facility, right, just in terms of the amount of people that want to come out and talk about this. And by the way, folks coming from far away, really far away, Robert. Right, I was going to say... The parking um, situation was that the parking for the public um, was filled by 9 a.m. Uh, the hearing started at 10, and it itself was a 15-minute walk. 
So ARP, for example, was just up in arms because they, their folks can't do the 15-minute walk, plus they couldn't have found the parking anyway because the lot was full. This is how little the majority cares about public input, but people came and got in there and yeah. testified all day anyway and packed a very large auditorium in the student union at UW-River Falls. So we want to continue to urge folks to get out. We've got one more of these official Joint Finance Committee hearings, and that is um, at UW-Green Bay. I think it's Wednesday, right? It is, yeah. it is this, it, it, right. It is, next, it is Wednesday, um, and it's just a couple days before uh, President Trump graces Green Bay with his uh, presence. Absolutely right. You folks up there in Green Bay, you're so lucky. You're so lucky, the MAGA rally. No, this is, and of course, I'm sure there'll be tons of our listeners showing up to the rally to counter-protest. It's going to be quite a scene, I'm sure, up there. But, um, folks, make sure you get out to that UW-Green Bay uh, public hearing. And in addition to that, there are a number of state legislators now that are uh, having listening sessions. We're trying to post them on our Facebook pages, particularly if you're a co-op member in your regions, we're getting those out. Um, also, the uh, Democrats are holding Badger Care public hearings. There's more of those. We will have links to those for you to get out to those. It's very, very important that folks here. And again, Governor Evers continues his public um, people's budget tour, going out and listening to folks. Um, it is a marked change from previous budget cycles where there was very little of this. And certainly the governor wasn't out sitting down in breakout groups, listening to people talk about, you know, whether they care about clean water, whether they care about health care and all the different issues. So um, with that, Robert, um, there was some news this week. Um, Koch Brothers, uh, Americans for Prosperity is the glossy cover they they shine themselves up with uh, their organization. Yeah, that's their front field group. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, this this fine organization has launched a grassroots effort on the state budget, um, which they have declared that they're going to be out doing canvassing, getting volunteers out canvassing, and they're targeting um, state newly elected state representative Robin Vining. And it is worth pointing out that these folks were involved in her race in the first place. I when I was out canvassing. Uh, in support of Julie and Henze so and folks Rob. folks know, this is in Wauwatosa area, suburbs of Milwaukee, right, Matt? Yep. yep. When I was out canvassing for, for Julie Henze and Robin Vining, I was literally walking across the street from Americans for Prosperity canvasser on two separate weekends. So they have definitely been in Wauwatosa, and so they are back, saying they're going to be back in canvassing for Robin Vining. Um, folks... This is classic AstroTurf, right? Like, this is not like lots of people banding together, getting resources together to go run a field program. This is Koch Brother money dropping down upon high to put together very slick resources. And, of course, there's going to be digital, and that's the real stuff that's happening, the, the notion that there'll be some large-scale volunteer-based uh, field canvas, not very likely. Um, but, Robert, again, it just shows, you know, um, what this these wealthy special interests are up to in terms of trying to um, really continue to play here in the state and that they're trying to get more serious about matching and thinking about sort of grassroots field activity, even if it's paid for by a couple of rich dudes. Right, and there's a reason we're interested at Citizen Action Wisconsin in people power and grassroots field activity because even though it, you can communicate with a lot more people by buying a television ad... Uh, than, than direct grassroots activity in fee of any kind, phone, uh, door contact, it can more fundamentally change people's position. In other words, 
uh, you can have, a, have someone having a conversation with you on your porch can be much more meaningful, though it takes a huge amount of resources often, or volunteer power in our case, uh, to actually, you know, you might have to canvas a half hour to find the one person that you have the conversation with, but it's much more impactful than having a TV ad running in the background when you're trying to take care of your kids or make dinner or what have you, which is the conditions people are seeing TV ads. And so they're understanding that. In fact, we're beginning not to understand that as much. I think field is uh, being underutilized in Wisconsin. And by the way, paid is not as good as volunteer. So just so you know, the silver bullet of Citizen Action volunteers and other volunteer-based organizations around the state is a volunteer who's movement-driven is even more impactful on someone than some paid canvasser, just so you know. And the question is, Matt, and this is what we really don't know, we have the press releases, right? Are these hired paid canvassers or are these actual people? I have a piece of evidence that would suggest that they're uh, paid folks, and here's this. We've all been remarking at the three joint finance committees so far, I've been at all three, uh, Janesville, Oak Creek, and uh, River Falls, that there is almost no right at all there, that almost all the witnesses, I mean 99%, are either what you would call Democrat or progressive, or they're nonpartisan folks who care about a particular program or issue. They are not ideological conservatives. They're speaking the Americans for Prosperity or Koch brothers or Robin Voss kind of language. And the Republicans, because remember Robin Voss said in regard to the Medicaid poll, Medicaid expansion, badge care expansion, being said we sent popular, he's a leader. He doesn't just look at public opinion. Well, they're leading apparently. It doesn't matter if they, spe if they spend eight hours listening to witness after witness from the general public testifying the other side, they're going to be leaders and do what they want. Excuse me, what is in the best interest of everyone? Hit, uh, lie, lie. But here's the thing, right? If Americans for Prosperity had real people to canvas, why would those real people not come to joint finance committee hearings? Why? It would suggest to me that they can't be because it might be useful to have a few of them go and testify, one would think. Well, I'm convinced what you lay out is what's going on now they and it's partially why they do this in such a glossy release and put a focus on these door hangers and stuff since you know we'll see what the actual spread of that is but i would expect we'll be seeing a lot through digital ads direct mail and other quote tactics but um it is worth pointing out if you look at who they're targeting testin testin is one of the top uh, pickups for progressives in the in the 2020 election. He's in a Senator what Testin, should be a Democratic seat. It is the Stevens Point area and uh, Wisconsin Rapids. You go in there, go a little south. So it's an area that Democrats have held in the past. Uh, it's slightly Republican, uh, but it is winnable. And Testin, so clearly they they see Testin vulnerable. Another reason why he's someone who we believe on Badger Care could actually flip and we've heard he's been in arguments with Voss over this so their their targets definitely show the vulnerabilities it's also worth pointing out that they're going after vining for supporting a tax increase robert and we know a part of the, what which what tax they're referencing. increase do you oh, know i believe they're referencing oh and they of course say a tax increase on working families but we believe that it's part of the increase that's in Evers' budget. So it's Man-Ag is, is a big chunk right. of Right. So just to remind our listeners, the Manufacture and Agricultural Tax Credit uh, described somewhat in ugly term Man-Ag at As the Capitol like say, yes. uh, was the biggest tax giveaway to business in Wisconsin history by Walker. It made manufacturing basically tax-free whether you create jobs or not. 
and uh, not totally untargeted. You could have like targeted the money in some way that where you had to create jobs in return for it. No, no, no. And so it's unsustainable. We're not going to be able to have a, a first-class public education system and, and continue to have this man-ag situation. It's why the Foxconn deal was cash payments, because Foxconn won't have any tax liability under Walker's budgets and, the, and Voss and Fitzgerald's, uh, which is now the law. Uh, but here's the thing. Evers did something smart. I would have gone further, but Evers did, took the middle ground. He, since they're going to claim it's small farmers, that's the reason for the ag and other things, he capped it at $300,000. So no one, so people could get the man ag tax credit and be tax free as long as they were uh, making less than $300,000 in taxable revenue. And guess what? Uh, small businesses do not make over three hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Well, that's just it. They, they're they're taxable income. Their hit on Vining is that she supports a one point three billion tax increase on working families and small businesses. Most of this is it's not them at lie. all. It's called a lie. It's a bunch of garbage. It's a lie. Though I assume Politifact might find it half true because they're kind of, shall we say, uh, torn apart by their over obsession with 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 parsing. So. I'm going to wrap this conversation up before we go to break with why this is super important. Not only is it important as it relates to the state budget, this is not going to change anyone's votes, probably not Vining's vote. It's about 2020. Uh, These suburbs are still in play, and uh, that Vining seat is the tip of the iceberg. There are more seats to be had by progressives in 2020 in the suburbs in Wauwatosa and in other parts of the Milwaukee County suburbs. And so they're very worried about that, and they're trying to build a base of activity to start to prepare to not only defend what they have, but to see if they can remove vining. So, folks, that is the first sort of shot in 2020 is the way I see this. Um, And we plan to be there in a big way in the suburbs in 2020, supporting a number of our members who are already, it looks like, preparing to run for state assembly. So, um, but this is the beginning of that, and we need your help. So get ready to get engaged in 2020. With that, we're going to take a break. we listen to Battleground Wisconsin versus Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Robert, we got to talk Green New Deal. Um we got to talk about the Duff Man. The Duff Man, in fact. We, we debuted the Duff Man on the podcast, uh, I think it was two years ago, three years ago, 2016, uh, when we profiled the Duff Man when he was saying some other ridiculous thing. I can't remember. Oh, that's right. His family couldn't survive. <laughs> couldn't survive on 150000 or whatever his uh, his family makes as a congressperson. <laughs> So the Duff man is um, he's doing something that's far more dishonest and pandering, I would argue. And he's been going after the Green New Deal and in particular, you know, and uh, uh, AOC around this idea, which is completely false, that somehow the Green New Deal gets rid of cows, which is he's been told numerous times this isn't the case, but he cannot help himself. He continues to try to make jokes about this, um, was going after and mocking the idea that the convention would be here in 2020. You know, why would you come to America's dairy land when you want to get rid of cows, right? So, like, he continues to make this this the assert that somehow that, that that's in the Green New Deal. It's not. It's, like, childish. 
uh, talking about it on his podcast with with the other newly elected rep, Ryan Stiles. Um, Robert, what why I think this is so important is not only is he pandering to this base, this sort of base out there, but I think it shows just sort of how disconnected they are from people in their own district and the idea that the good folks of Northwestern and Western Wisconsin, uh, where he represents, don't care about global warming, don't care about clean water, clean air. I mean, has he talked to anyone there about CAFOs? Has he talked to anyone who's suffering from flooding? Like, this is just, um, it's a false sort of thing that, straw straw person that he's created here. Um, And it's partially why we need to keep talking about how important the Green New Deal is. Well, Part of it is, quite frankly, that when you can't, and I've been seeing a similar tactic uh, on Fox News from some of their anchors and other U.S. senators uh, in the Green New Deal resolution debate, if you actually can't argue something, if something's inarguable, which uh, a, a climate disaster is, then maybe your last hope is to try to ridicule it. But it's sort of the rhetorical tactic of the high school bully, right, the ignorant one who's saying, ho, 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 I'm making some stupid joke to ridicule someone who's bringing something up legitimate, right? That's literally, and it's embarrassing for, because they represent all of Wisconsin, not just their district, uh, to have someone like this representing us in Congress, okay? Because this is the ignorant high school bully at the locker trying to, trying to ridicule and downplay uh, legitimate concerns by, you know, dehumanizing people, quite frankly. But it, of course, there's no point. I mean, I think Barrett, Tom Barrett had a good response saying it was utterly ridiculous. Uh, yeah, ha, exactly. ha, ha. But that's enough. Then we should pivot back to what's going on. Furthermore, he's saying, he said in another context, in an attempted attack, ham-handed one, as usual, on, uh, on Alexia uh, Ocasio-Cortez, uh, that the whole climate thing is elitist. Yeah. And this is all the people in New York and California. This is, their, this is what they're doing. They're pandering to their base okay. about this. Yep. This is really, really important, folks, beyond this issue. Take a step back. What the right has done in this country, and you want turn on Fox News for five minutes, you'll see it, is redefine who is elite and create this sense that the elitists are the liberals, like the climate scientists, right, or the people who want everyone to have health care, And the populist working folk people are the Koch brothers or, you know, members of Congress like him that do their bidding and receive huge amounts of cash from them. I mean, who is an elite, right? Me or Sean Duffy in Congress as part of the real elite of this country that profits handsomely from global warming and is willing to sell down the river their own children, which is what they're doing. And so that's where we are. We need to be clear, though, what elitism is, because we won't get a big thing on this, Matt. We don't have enough time. But the equity impact of climate change, it's going to be the most unequal, the most racist thing, because the upwards of a billion refugees it could create in our current path are going to be poor and predominantly disproportionately black and brown people, and the rich people that support Sean Duffy are going to be able to go to the habitable parts of the planet. I mean, and this is not overstating. I, I suggest people read the new book, The Uninhabitable Earth. This is not overstating it. This is the scientific consensus because we've actually created more uh, carbon since we knew about the climate crisis in the late 80s than we did in the whole previous human history. This is not the legacy of the Industrial Revolution in the 19th and early 20th century. This is our generation and us 
And Sean Duffy is a is literally a lick spittle for that Look, for genocide. This is also um, it's just kind of a misreading of I would say most a lot of the folks in his district. Um, their connect to the land is quite frankly more powerful than most people who live in the city. And while they may interpret and view through a different lens, sort of like how like left versus right may speak about conservation or the environment or caring about it, they actually care deeply and know when they're being bullshit, right? Or when this kind of stuff is happening. And and they can they can sniff through this kind of childish approach. And and by the way, like the flooding that's been happening almost every year now in in the Midwest, that's not rich elitists that are being flooded out of their houses every year. That, as Robert said, right, if you look at where people live in a lot of these impacted areas, it's not the wealthy. And it's the least of us who are able to get out and make arrangements to actually deal with what is going to be significant impacts of global warming if we continue to just go ahead like Sean Duffy and just make third-grade jokes about it. And here's the problem. They're trying to take advantage of the political and economic dislocation of not acting in order to, be, to double down on not acting. So I'll give you an example. Uh, the Syrian refugee crisis is partly climate-induced. It's a civil war. There, there's horrendous drought there. And that refugee crisis has caused Trump-like political movements in Europe. It's the destabilizing thing in Europe. And those are the folks who don't want to do anything about climate. So in a weird sort of way, the growing implications of this, their method is to use the money, because they're the elites, right, to further hold on to power by, te by literally t uh, uh, capitalizing on that dislocation, the same way that Trump literally is holding power by capitalizing on the real economic hardship of what we've done in this country as far as in, in the, the economy, industrial economy, in order to do more of the same, give more money to the elite. But never forget who the elitists are here or who their representatives are. Yeah, they're the folks that are behind the walls. <laughs> you know, if the ones that can build the walls to hide behind those communities. Basically, you're they, in a gated community yes. if you're part of the elite. So yeah. none of you, any of you, I doubt any of our <laughs> listeners live in gated communities. No, but that, let alone big compound mansions. Like you drive through Florida, like you get a, you get a like a sense of where we're headed as a country, right? Like where you have just massive amounts of rural poverty, poverty in urban, just poverty everywhere, and then literally right next door to massive gated communities with screened-in porches the size of neighborhoods, right? You know, and, you know, so when Trump's wall metaphor, all of that, it's it's real to those people because they already are living behind the walls, right? They already have created these walls for themselves. So it makes perfect sense. And if you're not going to actually address the reality of the flow of people that's going to result from these the, these bad decisions, um, you will hide behind walls, right? Because they're gonna, we're gonna be, they're gonna be amongst us, right? Whether it be Europe and the EU and you know Syrians oh, and all Wisconsin's the other folks coming. Oh, Wisconsin's gonna be a site of migration. Okay, there's gonna be mass migration out of parts of this country into Wisconsin because yes. this will be more habitable. But if you think if you have land in Wisconsin, you'll get to hold on to it. I'm telling you, the descendants of the Koch brothers are gonna figure out how to grab it 
build walled, huge walled areas and compounds to hide behind. And Sean Duffy, if he's smart, which he probably is, and maybe hoping his descendants will get to as serve good servants of them to be brought behind the walls instead of on the other side of the walls. And that ends this episode of Dystopian <laughs> Battleground, <laughs> Wisconsin. But look, I mean, these are the things that when when Sean Duffy totally blows it off and takes it not seriously, and we are talking about ecological genocide, like and won't. I'm it's just it's yeah. it, it's really really important. It's why it I wanted to talk about this for folks who haven't read anything like the Unhabitable Earth or the or the or the UN climate reports, which is sensitive science. I'm not doing a Son Duffy thing like here. I'm telling you about what scientific facts show, and really the test for our species is is that whether we as a species are able to act on our own science. So we have the capacity to create this incredible science. We seem the capacity to ignore it, yeah. and it's because of people like Sean Duffy and the Koch brothers, and the, the, the willful selfishness. Remember, greed is good? That's oh. what this is. This comes out of the Wall Street. It, it, we're, gonna, we're, we're, forget, we're, we're sick of having a responsibility. Let's go and gorge, and let's take advantage, and let's grab all the money. So with that, we're going to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank Representative Jonathan Brostoff for joining us on late notice. Uh, yeah, joined us right after uh, late last night after the news broke. So uh, thank you, Representative Rostov, for uh, talking about Foxconn. Uh, again, Rebecca, hope you uh, enjoying your vacation. We look forward to you returning, and we want to thank our producer, Brian Wooldridge, who makes this show happen every week. Um, and you are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We'll be back next week on this same station. Hey, we now return your radio to 24-hour Mueller Report coverage.